Hello, welcome to the Comparative Agility Podcast. My name is Simon Hilton, and in this series we'll be talking with world leaders in agility to help understand how we can make continuous improvement a part of your company's DNA. In this episode, I speak with Dr. Stephanie Puckett about the Agile Culture Code and how it can be used to drive transparency, collaboration, and empowerment within Agile teams. And here we are with the Comparative Agility Podcast. My name is Simon Hilton, and today I'm joined by Dr. Stephanie Puckett to talk about the Agile Culture Code. How are you, Dr. Stephanie? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. No, that's great. We love having the capability owners on the Comparative Agility podcast. And this is an interesting one because it's really about culture. I think a lot of people would agree that culture forms the, what's the world saying? Uh, culture, it's strategy for breakfast. So right. it's important to get this right in any organization. But you've put together the Agile Coach Code, which is a new capability we have on the site. Do you want to give the audience a quick background into your career and how you came to building the Agile Coach Code? Agile Coach Code? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I'm a psychologist, and this is really what carried me through my career and also brought me to this point here talking about culture. I started in a uh, consulting company and then worked my way through uh, a large international organization, back to consulting, my own business. I worked in uh, Germany, where I'm from, uh, Switzerland. I went to the U.S. for a few years, had my own business there, and went back to Germany again in a consulting company, and now since... About a year, I founded Psychology for Agility, trying to connect the dots and really use the experience I collected along the way to form something that customers or clients can work with. I'm trying to translate really the insights we have in psychology into things that basically work in the business based on my experience and and observations. A few years back, of course, like most of us who just are in the consulting business, we got addressed by clients asking for agility or agile leadership, and we got we got to go with them. So I started really looking mm-hmm. into it. What changed? What really has to be different? Looking at the organizational level, at the leadership level, and the individual level, and. I did write a lot about agile leadership since leadership, that's where I come from. That was most of my focus for my uh, career training leaders, coaching leaders, assessing them. And with or doing this work, focusing on agile leadership, I've written a book about it and I got some very interesting feedback, including a very simple question. Can we use the model you're presenting for our teams? Mm-hmm. And that to me was an eye-opener. Why am I so focused on leadership in times of agility where really accounts what happens on the edges of the organization, the teams, is where agility happens or not happens. So I started rethinking and taking a lot of time researching companies that are agile, looking into their culture papers, looking into case studies, trying to understand transformations that are in process. When do they fail? And the interesting part, I wanted to know What's the common denominator between agile organizations? And many authors and reviews agree it's not necessarily the structure, the size, or 
and the governance even, it's really comes down to the way people behave. This is where the heart of agility is. So looking at this from a psychological mm -hmm. perspective, taking things like job design, organizational psychology, work psychology, what we know about leadership and team dynamics, taking all this into consideration, I found nine dimensions or let's say nine facets that seem to be the, the true common denominator between agile organizations and they are manifested in their culture and they are yeah, the pillars that, that carry this culture. That's, yeah, that's the DC model, basically, with its nine facets. I try to, yeah, put it in a model to explain the logic behind what's happening in agile organizations. Awesome. And I guess culture is valuable anywhere, whether it's agile or not. But what do you find makes this uh, particularly valuable to team, to agile teams? Yeah, let me just give you a quick introduction to the TSC model. I think it, it gets quite clear mm -hmm. when you look at the dimensions. So just looking at what TSC stands for and for the listeners, the model is, it's a wheel. So it's basically a wheel with three cake pieces. That's the best way to describe it. And we have uh, T standing for transparency, E is for empowerment with a bias for action, and C is the uncond unconditional collaboration that happens within this company. And yeah, if we look at it from a, maybe from a hierarchical point of view, you have transparency as the base of every agile effort. Since agility, you know, it's, or its secret is to respond fast yes. to change, we gotta know and understand and see the change. So if we have transparency within the organization, which means that every employee, regardless of its position, can understand and observe what's going on in the market, can listen to the customer, or at least uh, gets the feedback from the customer, um, knows where the company stands, you know, where what's their strategy, what are our pain points, what, how do the financials look like, and I have all this information in front of me. I'm actually able to understand, to see trends, to set my own priorities, and to be able to react to um, the experience I make with the customer, knowing where my company is standing. So this transparency really enables information-based decision-making. It's the base for everything. And I like to, um, to quote the former CEO of SAS Airlines, who said, without information, you cannot take responsibility. With information, you cannot avoid responsibility. That really hits home for me. <laughs> if you want employees that are not only empowered, but to really take ownership and initiative, step up, you got to make sure that they have the information, that they can connect with what's happening and take action. So transparency is the true base. That's something that I think a lot of people can really resonate with, especially you know, having teams that just transfer it uh, to agility and make their first mistakes, fail with their own initiatives. Often it boils down to, you know what? There was no sufficient transparency. We didn't have all the information. Yep. We also didn't have a way to control how our efforts are doing, but to monitor them. And all this is part of it. And that's why, and this is the probably, yeah, the big value of this model is transparency is really broken down within three facets. And very often we forgot one of the three, and that's enough to make our efforts fail. 
So transparency on the base and then the consequence if I have all the information and I can take decisions, I should be allowed to actually take them and follow through with them and see opportunities for improvement or change that I can do it without having you know, an approval chain of uh, five management layers trying to give their approval and of course add on their ideas to my initial ideas. Without this, I will be able to actually act quick and make yeah, gather my own data and see see how it's how the market is resonating. So this kind of empowerment allows people and teams to take their own decisions. It also gives them freedom. Freedom means resources and time to experiment within their jobs or to you know try something crazy, take time to to work on ideas or be creative, just modify your own work environment as, as much as you can. So it's this freedom paired with the willingness and the offer from the organization to give ownership to the people. They have an initiative, they should own it. This is how we can make a difference. So that's the second component. And then the third component to bring this all together is collaboration. We have a company that's very strong in transparency and empowerment. Or we have a company that is probably pretty successful in the short term that has great stars within the employees making a headway forward, exploring new markets, really aggressively tackling new opportunities. But what we won't have is that company evolving, learning, and adapting along the way. Learning on an organizational level can only take place when we actually collaborate, when we exchange our learnings, when we combine our knowledge into something new. This is how we create innovation learn from each other. That's the one thing I maybe like most about the agility toolbox we have is retrospectives, not only on the team level, but trying to have them on the organizational level. And that's all behind this unconditional collaboration. It's a little bit like the startup atmosphere. You know, not getting hung up fighting is, you know, whose role is that? whose responsibility is that, but simply you see a task, again, transparency, you see what's necessary to be done, you just do it, you just get it done, it's not about what's my job, it's about how can I add value in a certain situation, it doesn't matter which role I'm taking or which team I might be contributing to, that is collaboration, as you can see here, of course it doesn't end with culture, we need a structure that obviously supports it, if we reward people, on achieving their own objectives. They might be less tend to contributing where their contribution is needed most, maybe in a, in a different business area. So of course, uh, we need that support. But this is the, the TEC model that really describes the base, or it describes how culture and agile organizations is anchored. That's a, it certainly uh, speaks to a lot of ideas that I think are really core to Agile. One person I one person described I've worked with is Agile is navigating change at pace. And everything that you talked about there was about, okay, so if we're going to move, if we're going to understand that there is change to be had, that's transparency. How we're going to navigate it, how we're going to work together, that's collaboration and actually being the, having the opportunity to see and make that decision to move forward is, is your empowerment uh, model right. right there. So I, it, it makes a great summary of how teams can be outfit with the proper tools and culture 
frameworks to to really mm-hmm. make the best of agile so let's maybe dive a bit d- deeper into each of those three pillars and go a bit deeper so you talked already a lot about transparency but you break it down here into information intention and effect so can you break can you be maybe information is obviously having access to information as you pointed out before is that typically a problem from what you've seen in the teams you worked with yeah, interestingly enough, most of them would say, no, no, it's not a problem okay. at all. I, we can, we're pretty open here. We get our informations. But the question is, how do you get your information really? Are you waiting for your monthly briefing from management? What's going on? Do you have to rely on secondhand information? Let's say we have a, we made the organization, went through the effort, they did a, an NPS score review with their clients and they have the results how it usually happens the results first hit hr management they're sitting together in their closed office trying to analyze this to analyze it and then hr is taking an enormous time to prepare the results make their nice powerpoint slides this has Mm -hmm. to be approved by management again then we brief the managers in the organization they brief their staff you can only guess how much information gets lost along the way it's incredible and most of all we have this feedback right here and the time where people on the edges of the organization that actually work with these customers and could make a difference hear it two months were fast that would be fast in a big organization so is that transparency and information it's absolutely not transparency and information would be here's our results there's the data you know guys go ahead Import them in Excel. Do your own calculations. Try to get your own insights. Let's talk about what what we see. Let's look down to the item level, what customers to really respond to. This is, it goes back to democratizing information. So letting people access it, but also letting people find out what kind of information do they need, what other sources are out there. There's a lot of things we don't see. The very simple thing would be subscription to a magazine that gives you regular insight and sharing. That's a very simple one. But you also have um, maybe networks you can join where you get hands-on information, what's going on with competition, what are the customers talking about. You know, today we have access to everything. So why don't we democratize this? Why don't we utilize it? And interesting enough, I find this fascinating, you know, we looking at RJ companies, we say they're really very easy weight in bureaucracy, not a lot of processes or structures. And yet, looking into the way they gather information and make sure this information is actually taken into account. We have database decisions. They are incredibly structured. There's heavy processes ensuring that information is gathered and utilized. So when you get into this detail, you often find, mm, okay, maybe more information. Yes, there is some improvement areas we can we can see at this point. Yeah, it sounds simple, but actually it's not. I think you're spot on. And it's been in my experience in a lot of organizations as well, that the systems and information and the, the repositories themselves and the information within them aren't open by default. And that's right. a right. real problem when you have curious people and you want them to be curious because they're the one people who are going to collaborate, all those kinds of things. So I guess it is a bit of empowerment as well. But it, I think it's important for everyone to realize that this isn't 
always the case in your organization. It'd be a good idea to double click down on that saying, if I wanted to access this piece of information, how would I do it? I ask, do maybe do a hallway test on that and say, hey, person X, how would you find information Y? And you'll quickly, I think, start to see that people either don't, there's two levels to this. One, they don't have the security access. They literally cannot log in and get to that because it's been locked out for them for some reason. Mm-hmm. But maybe even also the documentation doesn't exist to tell them where to find it. So there's a level there of, okay, maybe we need to write a wiki article to say, if you want, if you're interested in this customer data, go look at it for it over here. And creating those kind of meta kind of wayfinding information points inside the, the organization go a long way to allowing people to be, people to be self-sufficient and empowered. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. That's really behind it. I like to call for radical transparency. Companies like uh, Netflix also puts it on their flags uh, to say that's what they strive for. And it absolutely makes sense because it also starts with the question, who knows what kind of information I need? Mm-hmm. Me working with a customer, me working in a very specialized area, my management does not know what information I really need to be able to improve or innovate in my job. And then you get this one aspect of transparency. We haven't even talked about um, transparency for intention. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, even if I have access to everything and I can take make my own picture, how do I align myself with the organizational goals? I might be able to read a strategy paper or see the nice vision painted on the walls, but do I really understand what are the motives behind the decisions that are taken? Why do we have the strategy, not a different strategy? You know, why is every step the way it is? I need to understand the story behind the decisions that are taken. And this story, it's storytelling. You know, it's also for yourself. If you want to engage with someone, you need support from someone. Do you really start telling the story. Here's here's my idea, and here's how, I, how this idea evolved. Here's what I was struggling with, and that's why I came up with this idea. Or here's why I still have doubts, but maybe you can find me or help me to find a better idea. Talking about our motives and our true intention, this is what gets people psychologically involved. This leads to psychological commitment. People start thinking with you, and they're committed. They're willing to help you. I think that's a facet that's really neglected in organization, you can start making a difference. I like to work with us in teams. Let's say one or two of them start asking questions and start explaining their story behind an idea or behind a request. People, they get adapted to it. They see, oh, hold on, that's really cool. I see many more things now. My horizon is really open. I'll do the same thing. And next time someone is just going to you know, pass me on a project or a request. I will stop and ask to really understand where does that come from. It catalyzes a nice a change in the way we work together. It's also a form of respect, taking the time to really involve and inform your uh, your colleagues. So that's intention. And then the third component of transparency is effect. This is, we quickly touched on this point. I have all the information. I start putting my own ideas together and I start executing. Hopefully empowerment is actually given. Then how do I know? I'm on the right way. Do I have to ask someone? Do I give my monthly report to management, see how they react to it? Or am I able? Is it transparent? Can I see how do the customer react? How do they respond to, let's say, a tweak in the marketing campaign? Or I made a little modification in the product I send out. How do the customer react to it? Do I have more complaints? How's the quality of feedback? So I need to be able to really 
yeah, have transparency and understanding what impact does my work do. And that goes beyond that. If I understand the impact of my work, this is what really gives me purpose, what makes my work fulfilling and motivating. If I know exactly, if I, for example, just uh, do something for a colleague or submit information to a colleague, the way I do it might make a huge difference for my colleague to pick up the work and utilize it. And knowing this, getting a quick feedback and response saying, hey, you know what, the way you prepared the data for me, this has really made a huge difference for me. I saw connections I haven't seen before or um, simply enabling like the service team to act much faster if I, try, if I submit different information from my sales uh, contact with the client. Things like that, understanding how we interlocked in the system where the contact points and making sure there's feedback flowing from point A to point B and back, this really gives us also the motivation we need to feel we're making a difference, where our work is important and we personally can make this difference if we want. And this all is transparency. It's a pretty broad topic and you start diving into it and you see we might have not paid a lot of attention to transparency with the impact and effects of our work. Let's let's get this going. Now, what do we need to to increase transparency here? That's why I'm working with this tool. So you see, that's about you know just looking at transparency, what's hidden behind those three facets. And I think it's important to re-underline because I think you have said before that it all sits on transparency. But there's often this situation of you don't know what you don't know. Oh yeah, everything's fine, but you didn't know that there's all of this. Uh, meaning and value and, and all these things, but you just were never, it was never transparent, I guess that's the right word for it. But moving into collaboration, I can see a lot of the things that you were talking about there, being able to effectively exchange, contribute. Well, the three pillars you've got, three parts you've got here, the facets are exchange, contribute, and learning. And this really speaks to me about working with others, being able to exchange kind of information in tasks, all, all those kinds of things, but then contribute to an outcome. Can you tell us more about collaboration? Mm-hmm. Yeah, collaboration is what brings it together, you know, what yeah. enables the learning, the advancement, what connects the dots and makes sure the knowledge we have in the organization is really shared. You have exchange, that's a simple one. Are you in contact with your colleagues? Are you well networked? Before that, we quickly talked about if I don't have a knowledge or an information, do I know who to approach? This is all part of collaboration, having your network, making sure people have access by the way, regardless of what hierarchic level the person of interest is sitting in, you should be able to have an equal footing conversation here and approach without going through your management. All this is making sure you remove the barriers that in our current state prevent us from really collaborating without conditions. Also dedicating time for it, um, making sure your team has dedicated time also for networking, simply to meet other teams or other individuals within the company that yes there are resources you gotta you gotta give them you have to give them this time but that's also showing them it's it's important it's valuable and it will pay off in future making our conversation excuse me our conversation chains making them smaller getting the right people together and it starts with simply starting to talk to your colleagues using transparency also and to make sure your colleagues know what you're doing, and but also make sure that what other departments are working on. That's the aspect also of trying to find synergies and learn from each other. 
I like if you just use some simple, very simple measurements for yourself. Let's say one week, one colleague, you got to meet. And either it's a new colleague or it's one you're working with maybe for years, but you've never really connected on a you know more personal level maybe. Or really talked in depth about what uh, challenges you're facing in the job. Do that. Do your lunch roulette or whatever you want to do to try to get your network up and going and help others find the right person to connect with. Ask yourself, do you really share your knowledge? Do you share your experience? Not only the stories we talked about in transparency, but also are you open about some things that didn't work out for you and how you went about it? Did you share that? Did you ask for help? Did you ask for advice? All this is part of the, part of the exchange. And then what most companies are really interested in is the second component, and that is contribution. Do we have a culture where people are very much focused on their own targets, their own areas, they don't really want to help others, they don't vol volunteer to let's say, donate their time, knowledge or experience or skills, whatever, to help another team get started with something, given they know what's going on and they see, hey, what I did something very similar before. I know in a different business area they're trying to get this get this started in a different project. I'm right here. How can I help? Or let's say within the team, some tasks get dropped. Who's the one that picks them up? Is that you know like pushed under the carpet and we all just do our shiny favorite topics? We try to be visible, etc. Or are we people that just you know open up this rug and get the stuff back out and see who does what? You know, do we are we hands on, just trying to add value, not thinking about the role we're working in or the team we're working in. It's really focusing on, or let's say, the question I have going in the office in the morning is not what does my job, what is my job today, or how can I best match my manager's or my role um, expectations. The questions I need to ask is today, how can I best add value and it's not, you know, this is a very serving uh, mindset, but it also goes back in being smart. What do I bring to the table? What am I passionate about? What are my experiences that might not apply in my current job, but could be useful for the company in other areas? What can I do? What do I want to do? And how does that line up with uh, what's needed and how I can add value? This is this unconditional collaboration. A lot of companies sometimes say, or I hear it a lot from management, by the way, why why is my team so, so stuck up on discussing roles and responsibilities? Why do we not just focus on the results and find the best way to, to get to them? And this is part of this focus on adding value and just, yeah, contribute. Focus on collaborating without conditions. Also, breaking down silos, different business areas or functions or countries. All those silos in collaboration, we got to break them down. We got to mm. let people collaborate without these conditions or without these boundaries. And then the third facet is learning uh, something you know, we, we can't go without. And this is not only having your exchange on a, what are you doing? Hey, great, here's what I'm doing but really getting into this topic. What have I learned from maybe project that failed or bad customer feedback? 
trying to reflect how does it look like in your team and where maybe we have some similarities that seem to seem to be impediments for our work. Let's escalate those. Let's bring those together and uh, learn from it as an organization. That's odd to me. Organizational design, for example, this is not a top-down thing. We find the best design. As far as I know, there is not no such thing as the best or ideal design for an organization. But why don't we ask the teams? How do they need to have a setup? Or how do they need to be structured in order to be successful? And within the department, how does it look like here? And then we go from there and see how does the organization need to adapt their bonus systems, their processes, location policies, work policies to make and you know, to enable those teams to collaborate and work the way they can be successful today. That might be different tomorrow. You know, keep your eyes open, keep exchanging and learning, keep iterating to yeah, make sure you find the perfect, momentarily perfect organizational setup based on what your teams need. Mm. Yeah. And then finally, the third slice of the pie here is empowerment, which kind of, it seems like this all drives towards that, right? It's moving towards that point where uh, someone does feel empowered, as you're saying, but what value am I, I delivering? And the three facets we have here are freedom, enablement, and, and ownership. Tell us more about those. Yes. So a good first question or a way to look at, and this is what I feel a lot of companies are open to right now, given this whole new work, future of work movement and the pandemic also forcing us in a situation where we have to give people more freedom, how they get their job done with the current circumstances. I feel like companies are pretty open to talk about freedom at work, that it starts with remote work options. It starts with when and how I work, do my work, what tools do I want to use. Some companies make tremendous experiences simply telling people, you want to find your own tools. And all of a sudden, teams bring in innovative ideas. They use different softwares, for example, and are tremendously successful. So then we can start scaling. Yeah, That's just one part of the freedom. Very easy is to... Just let people do their job the way they know they can do it best and make sure they have the resources at hand. You don't start micromanaging. You don't start people start telling people how to do their job. It's, you know, in agile organizations, or let's say where we apply Scrum, we have this minimum degree on freedom in letting people self-organize and self-manage. At least how they get the job done within the team is for them to decide. That is a great deal of freedom agile structures or other methodologies and frameworks suggest to give to teams. This is great. The question I would like to ask is where does that empowerment stop? This is freedom. That's not yet empowerment. If I can decide how I do my job, it's great. It's freedom. But can I also, do I have a voice in what should my job actually look? Do I have, do I have a voice and saying, hey, I'm not sure if these priorities that got brought to us by the product owner, I'm not sure those are the right ones. Do I have a voice here? Can I suggest alternative ways to try, when I know the intentions, to try to meet our goals? This then goes more in the empowerment option. What I like to challenge, though, with the whole freedom thing is a lot of people do not know what freedom they have. They can tell you things, but when you ask me, okay, so when was the last time you actually hit the wall? You actually pushed too hard. 
on uh, your, your boundaries. This is when you understand where does your freedom end. If you never got back backfired, if you never really uh, push too hard on something, you, you don't know how far you can go. So that's a part of it, trying to also encourage people, utilize the freedom you have, go push the boundaries and see where you end up. Of course, we need some trust here that people are not going to face negative consequences. And what I like for managers that think we have a great deal of freedom in our area, take a challenge, take one rule a week you can eliminate. One week, one rule down, and let's see where we end up. You know, second guess for every little rule, every little... Define process steps. Is that necessary? Or can we go without it? And then dot, just get rid of it and see, reflect, where did we end up? Do we need to re-implement it or change it or have something else? So take one week, one week and kill one rule. And then moving over to enablement. This is a, a topic that sometimes hurt in the organizations because we ask people do you have what you need to be successful? Do you have access to the resources, to the people you need to be successful? And yeah, often people don't. They don't have the budget. They can't get a certain um, education they might need or even have just the time to go and, and find new ideas or to not answer their phones, not check their emails for, let's say, every Friday afternoon to have the space to think for themselves and improve. Do they have the ability to address other people in the organization they could get great learnings from? Do we really have what we need? And this is the, the part of enablement. Enablement also includes, if you give people responsibility, are they really yeah, recognized in the organization? Do they have the necessary authority to go get what they need to you know, start this initiative to push it to involve the stakeholders. Are people really empowered? Do they have the authority to go deal with the customer? Or does it always go back to management? So that is enablement. Yeah, again, try to think big if you are in your job. What could you achieve? What could you achieve? What could you perform? How could you perform at your best? What would you need? Fill in those blanks. I could do this and that if. Fill in these blanks and start asking for them. And then lastly, ownership, that's like the crown. Ownership means we have the necessary freedom. It means we are fully enabled. And now taking ownership means we're not only responsible, or let's say we're not only accountable, but we also are responsible. So we have the authority to take care of everything to make sure you know, my initiatives goes from A to Z, to uh, commit all the resources I have and commit my passion into an idea I might have and fulfill it. It shows, you know, in some companies who are very strong in uh, supporting people taking initiative, if they leave the responsibility for their ideas in the hand of the one that actually had the idea, this is a great success factor because here's where the passion is. And here's also where people are going to be eager to follow the one with the idea versus the project manager who took that idea and now tries to implement it, really utilizing this whole mindset of ownership, this entrepreneurial spirit you can light within the teams, this is 
the top of the of the empowerment tri trial, if you want. It's been a fantastic conversation here. I've really enjoyed it, and I think I can see real value in the way that uh, teams can apply this to create that transparency within uh, their organization, collaborate with team members from around the business, and really empower individual team members to to do their best work. So the Agile Culture, Co Agile Culture Code capability is on the Comparative Agility website, but is there anywhere else people can keep in touch with you, Dr. Stephanie? Yes, absolutely. So go visit my webpage as psychologyforagility.com. You use the four, the number four, uh, to make it more simple. Reach out to me. You find me on LinkedIn. You find me on Twitter. So yeah, go ahead, connect. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to also hear more how this model is um, applied or what you think about it from different corners of the world is also as it's always the most fascinating point for me to see how does it work in Singapore or how does it work in Australia yeah just reach out to me visit my website and connect thank you so much and have a great day you too thank you bye-bye